0: Good morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Ryan Jackson. You can call me Pastor Ryan, or if you're slightly more daring, you can call me Pastor RJ. It's completely up to you. I'm the associate pastor here at Harvest, and I'm filling in for our senior pastor who is away with his family overseas. And I am delighted and thrilled to be here with you all this morning. You guys excited to be here? All right. I want to open this morning with a little story that should be familiar. Let's see if you catch on. It began in the year 406 AD. A young man of 16 years old was living in Roman Britain and he was captured by Irish raiders. That should be a clue. Irish raiders. And sold as a slave in Ireland. Can you imagine? Where is God in a time like that? Now, he had been raised in the church. In fact, his father was a deacon. But up to this point in his life, he himself had not embraced the gospel And he finds himself being forced to live with a people he didn't know, a language he didn't know, and he was at work with no family and no friends and no future. Where is God? Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our series, Summer in the Psalms. The elders have been preaching through the psalms, and it's been a fun series. I've enjoyed it thus far. And we're going to look at a marvelous psalm, psalm number 46. And as we read this psalm, what's interesting is that it does not promise you health and safety and wealth and prosperity. In fact, as we read through the psalm, it describes trouble, destruction, and uncertainty. And what it does promise is something much more precious than material possessions. It promises the sustaining presence of God himself. So if you haven't done so already, please turn with me to Psalm 46. And would you please stand with me as I read the psalm you can follow along in your Bible. Psalm 46, the entirety. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this psalm is among twelve psalms listed as written or performed by the sons of Korah. Now, the term Korah or the Korahites refers to a group of Levitical singers, and they are in fact mentioned in Second 2 Chronicles twenty nineteen, standing and praising the Lord in front of the Jer- in front of Jerusalem. They were the worship band of the day. Now, most of you know, but if you're a visitor, you may not know this morning, that's usually my job standing up here with the worship band, and we're leading the people in worship, and it's fun, and it's awesome, and something that amazes me is to think that music has been a part of the services of God for ages. Like We don't even know how far back music goes, and how far back music goes specifically to the worship of God. But it's fun to think about, and it's fun to think about these these sons of Korah leading the, the Israelites into worship. I found it interesting. There's actually a contemporary group who calls themselves the Sons of Korah, and they're a Christian group that puts together the psalms to music. They're really neat. You should check them out. But this psalm is dedicated to the sons of Korah, and just like the songs of today, the psalms were divided up into certain categories we've got psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise and psalms of lament and when it comes to psalm 46 it's actually referred to as a psalm of trust three times in this psalm God is compared to either a refuge or a fortress and the idea there is that God is a shelter protecting those who who love him, who trust him, who follow him. God protects his people. But what is interesting is how he protects his people. He protects them through his sustaining presence. So this morning, I want to share with you three ways that God's presence provides a refuge. Three ways God's presence provides a refuge. The psalmist opens by stating, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In the Hebrew, the word for present is matzah. And that's interesting because it could be translated as be found, to be discovered, or to let oneself be found. As a father, it is my responsibility to play hide and seek. Believe it or not. Now, I have kids from 11 to 1, and for the older kids, I make it a challenge as much as I can. For the younger kids, I don't. If I was to camouflage myself in the back of the closet in the back room, I would be there a long time. And honestly, after two, three minutes, they'd give up anyway. So with the younger kids, I make it quite obvious where I am because I'm not sitting in a place for a long time, and they're having fun at the same time. God makes it obvious where he is, and he makes it obvious during times of trouble. Here in the verse says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He wants us to know where he is. He makes it so easy that all we have to do is turn to him. And he's there. He was actually there the whole time. It's just that we now recognize God is there. Specifically, verse one says that God is present during times of trouble. He's a refuge during times of trouble. What kind of trouble? Look at verse two. Therefore... We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In Hebrew poetry, it's a very common form uh, to use something called parallelism. And that's when two or sometimes three lines of text are grouped together to convey an idea. And that's what we have going on right here. Now, sometimes the parallel lines will complement each other, they will qualify each other, or sometimes expand on each other. And what we have here is the lines expanding on each other to describe a series of natural disasters. We have the earth giving way, the mountains being moved, waters foaming, mountains trembling. The idea here is describing natural disasters. And the challenge that we're faced with is that during the chaos, though it may be rampant on earth, we need not fear. Verses 2 and 3 build on each other as we see these natural disasters take place describing tumultuous events. And the writer's saying, Do not be afraid during natural disasters because God is our refuge. And that's our first point this morning. God's presence is a refuge during natural disasters. God's presence is a refuge during natural disasters. Many of you remember Hurricane Harvey. It was just two years ago that tore through parts of South America and Southern Texas Now, I have a lot of family and friends in southern Texas, and so you believe that at the time I was watching the news, I was on Facebook, I was making sure that they were okay. And by the grace of God, they were okay, and they are okay. Praise the Lord for that. But you better believe the times that they went through were scary, it was tumultuous. There were moments of fear. Where was God? Was he their refuge and strength? Was he protecting them? He was protecting them. Absolutely, he was protecting them. But notice how he was protecting them. He did not remove the trouble, he was a presence during the trouble. He did not remove the trouble. In fact, many of my family and friends, they had massive property damage during that time. God didn't supernaturally protect where they lived and allow the storm to go around the area. It went through. It caused damage. But God was present in the trouble. Look at the text again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Scripture here does not say that God removes the trouble. There's a teaching in our day and age, you may have heard of it, referred to as the prosperity gospel, where they preach that if you come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be secure, and everything will be great. And I'm here to tell you that is a false teaching. The Bible never makes the statement that you come to Jesus and everything's gonna be okay. In fact, if we come to Jesus, we'll still experience the tumultuous times We'll still experience persecution. We'll still experience things that shake us up. But God's presence is a help in the trouble. And that, my friends, is a far more precious gift than any material possession we could lay our hands on. God's presence is a help in the trouble. Now, how exactly is that a help? How exactly is the presence of God a help? It's interesting, as as a pastor, I've had a number of occasions to visit people in the hospital. And some of you have even come and visited with you in the hospital, and, and it's a great time of praying and a great time of, of, of being there and fellowshipping with you. But you need to know that I'm not a doctor. You need to know that the last thing you want is for me to perform an operation on you or to stitch you up. I mean, I'm good on getting a Band-Aid on. So what good is my visit, really? And many times when I've left there, people have, ex- have expressed how much of an encouragement and how much it meant to them that I was there. In a far grander way, Jesus' present is the encouragement that we can't have elsewhere. Jesus' protection is something that we could not get anywhere else. Jesus' presence is beyond anyone's presence because of who he is. The storm that we're going through, the tumultuous time that we're experiencing, he's in the midst of that. He's with us in the troubled time. Jesus' words right before he left earth was I am with you always and that should be our comfort. So my challenge to you is to recognize Jesus' presence and do this by verbally expressing praise to Jesus during times of trouble. Why verbally? Because it makes it real. It makes it real when we express with our mouth our praise to Jesus no matter what's going on. Do you remember Job? Job. Remember Job, bad things were happening to him in the first two chapters of Job. He lost his children, he lost his herds, he lost his property, he lost his health, and he responds by saying, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verbally expressing his praise To the Lord. So when we face times, and you will face times of natural disasters, fires, floods, storms, and you know what? I'm going to throw in there things. That may not be nature driven, but are still tumultuous events like car accidents and other tragic things that happen. I know they're not natural in the sense of nature driven, but they're still tumultuous times. And in times like that, we turn our eyes to Jesus Christ and we sing a song of praise. We recite a scripture of God with us. We don't have to be happy. We definitely mourn. We definitely feel the shock. Absolutely. But we remind ourselves in this moment, God is still present. So God's presence is a refuge during natural disasters. Secondly, here's your second point. God's presence is a refuge during national disasters disasters God's refuge is a presence during national disasters you can also scribble in there international disasters look at verse 4 there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God the holy habitation of the most high God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved God will help her when morning dawns the nations rage the kingdoms totter He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Not only is God present during times of natural disaster, but he's present during times of national or international disaster. Jesus promised upheaval. He promised political upheaval. He promised national and international upheaval. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, 6. We hear of wars. We hear of rumors of wars, do we not? I mean, you would have to be asleep to miss the upheaval in our day between nations. And it goes on every single day. And I know our first thoughts are probably go to Afghanistan and Iraq. And that is certainly appropriate. But there are current wars going on in the Sudan, Nigeria, Libya, Egypt, and elsewhere. War is constant on this planet. And if it's not war, then it's some sort of hate crime or some sort of terror crime that's going on. And violence Is out of control. And if it's not even that, then it's political infighting. Then it's combat with words. Then it's aggravated debate, or it's shameless name calling, or it's political games, or it's individuals trying to oust each other for power. There is no peace in Washington, D.C. They may not be flinging bullets, but they certainly are flinging words. Where is God? What kind of country, what kind of world will my children grow up in? Where is God? It's interesting that verse 4 begins with this There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. The city of God is a reference to Jerusalem. It's God's people, and that's very appropriate for this psalm because Jerusalem was where the temple was. That's where you went and worshiped God. And here the image of God is actually described as a river that surrounds and protects his city. Peter Lange, in his commentary on this verse, writes this, God is compared to a river which surrounds and defends his city. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And that's the image. Once again, we return to God's presence with his people during national disasters, during national upheaval. Look at verse 6. We just get a taste of what life was like back then. The nations rage. The nations rage. You may know that war was pretty constant back in the days of the Old Testament and kingdoms would rise and conquer other kingdoms and people would fight. The nations raged. But do the nations not rage today? do the nations not rage against each other today i said i said earlier where is god in all of this the nations are raging he utters his voice the earth melts he utters his voice the earth melts the writer of this psalm reminds us that the power of god is so great that at his word it would cease that the nations rage, but at the word of God, peace be still, it would be over. God speaks, and it's done. He reminds us of the power of God during the times that the nations rage. Verse seven says, the Lord of hosts, that word host is a reference to armies, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The one who is in complete and total control and at his very word could decimate his enemies. That is the one who is with us. Verse seven is a refrain that's repeated in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. John MacArthur writes of this verse, the precious personal presence of the divine warrior secures the safety of his people. I'm gonna say that again, it's so good. The precious personal presence of the divine warrior secures the safety of his people. It's the focal point of the entire psalm. God is with us. His powerful earth melting presence is our fortress of protection no matter what happens. God's presence is a refuge during national disasters. Now you might be thinking to yourself, how is God with us right now? How? If he is the one who utters his voice and the earth melts, then why are we still in upheaval? Why are we still in turmoil? And doesn't the Bible tell us it's gonna get even worse? How is God providing safety? How is God with us in our world of upheaval today? I want to share two things on that question. First of all, no government exists without God's anointing. No government exists without God's anointing. Romans 13.1 reads, Let every person, every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And it's interesting, when Paul penned those words, he was not growing up in the United States of America. He was not living, I should say, in the United States of America, where we still have religious freedom. He was living in Rome under the dominion of Nero. And he said, there is no governing authority but from the Lord. No government exists without God's anointing. The governments around the world have been instituted by God. Your government has been instituted by God. Afghanistan's government has been instituted by God. Russia's government has been instituted by God. All the governments have been instituted by God. Are they submissive to God? Certainly not. Or there would be peace on earth. But they have been instituted by God, And remember that your government was instituted by God, and even during times of national disaster, we are to remain subject to the governing authorities unless, unless, unless they tell us to contradict the Bible. So I'm answering the question, where is God during national upheaval? How is he a presence? Number one, I told you that no government exists without God's anointing. Secondly, let me remind you that Jesus is our ultimate ruler. Jesus is our king. I want to share some scripture with you, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah 11:10 In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. John 12:15 Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion; see, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. First Timothy 6.15, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation 17.14, they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Revelation 19.16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, king of kings and lord of lords. He is our king. And though he tarries now, he will return. He will set things right. He will cause the earth to melt. Have no fear, people of God, during national disasters, for your king surrounds you like a river though the whole earth stands in opposition of you the lord will prevail the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our fortress so god's presence is a refuge during natural disasters god's presence is a refuge during national disasters and your final point god's refuge god's presence is a refuge to those who trust him God's presence is a refuge to those who trust him. Look at verse eight. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress here the psalmist changes direction from talking about how God's presence is our fortress to inviting the listeners into that fortress he calls the reader to come behold the works of the Lord that's an invitation to see what God has done come behold the works of the Lord that is an invitation to see what God has done in the past what has God done in the past What would an Israelite think about when they think about what God has done in the past? Perhaps he would think about the Exodus. Perhaps he would think about the coming into the promised land. Perhaps he would think about God decimating the enemies so that the promised land could be set up. Perhaps he would think about the the sun staying in the sky for longer than it should have. Perhaps he would think about the walls of Jericho falling. Come see the works of the Lord. Why do we need to do that? Because when we look back at what God has done, we realize that he was the presence that he promised. When we look back at what God has done, we see how God was with us. And we can face what is to come. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What has God done? He has done so much. And now it's true 3,000 years ago and that's true today. Where is God? God makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What has God done? But what will God do? God is a peacemaking God he's into the peacemaking business none of the disasters spoken of in verses 2 and 3 please the Lord he's not happy that his creation is cursed and that natural disasters are a reality he's not happy that the nations rage and that war is constant God is a peacemaking God his ultimate plan is to restore creation and his people to a state of perfect peace with himself God is a peacemaking God His ultimate plan is to restore creation. And it's interesting that part of that plan was Jesus Christ. Actually, Jesus Christ was the entire plan, but it comes in parts. The first time Jesus Christ came, he came to dwell with man. And what is interesting is that the name Emmanuel means God with us. When Jesus came the first time, God with us, Emmanuel, he came and his physical presence was among us. See, God has always been about his presence with his people, he's not distant. He's not just kind of spun the universe into existence and now he's pulling back and he's kind of absent from things. He is a very present help in trouble. And when Christ came, it was God with us. His physical presence was among us. And that was part of the plan. That was part of the plan to make war cease to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ came. He satisfied God's wrath on the cross. He defeated sin and death. But when he returns, this promise will be ultimately fulfilled. He will make wars cease to the end of the earth. There will be a day when Jesus rules and reigns, and peace will cover the earth like never before because God is a peacemaking God. And you might say to yourself, that's fine and good, but why is all this happening? Why doesn't He just step in now? Because God's timing is God's timing. God does use supernatural disasters when he sees fit, like in Jonah. God uses national disasters like war and other things when he sees fit, such as in the book of Joshua. But he always has a plan. He always has a purpose. And it's working toward his ultimate fulfillment when there will be peace on the earth forevermore. God uses things to accomplish his plan. It's true. And for us sometimes going through it, we wonder why. And it seems tumultuous. It is tumultuous. But we stop and remember that God is present in the trouble. His ultimate plan is full restoration. So what do I do in the meantime? What do I do till then? What do I do during the tumultuous times on earth? Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 10, the psalmist speaks God's words and it's likely that what God is doing is addressing both his people, the nation of Israel and the nations that rage in verse 6. The word for be still is the Hebrew word rafah. It can mean several things, but it's most likely meaning here is to leave off, to cease, to stop. God is telling his people, cease your worry and trust me. He's likewise telling the nations that rage, stop what you are doing and recognize who I am. John MacArthur, I love this quote of this verse. He says, these twin commands to not panic, and to recognize his sovereignty are probably directed to both his nation for comfort and all other nations for warning. Be still and know that I am God. The statement is followed by God declaring that he will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted in the earth. No amount of natural disaster, no amount of national disaster can halt the exaltation of God Almighty. It is imminent. He will be exalted by all. You will either bow the knee to Jesus here on earth or you will bow the knee at judgment when it's too late and spend eternity in hell. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ is your personal savior, I implore you to talk to one of us, talk to one of the elders afterward. we would be more than delighted to share the good news of Jesus Christ and how you can be saved. You will either bow the knee now, or you will do so at judgment. Philippians 2:11 reads this way: "Every knee should bow, and every tongue confess." that Jesus Christ is Lord. God will be exalted, and God's presence is a refuge to those who trust him. Verse 10, by the way, is invaluable to us today in 2019. And I can't tell you how many times I've said this verse to myself, be still and know that I am God. When I'm anxious, when I'm worried, when... My actions or my thoughts or my attitudes are contrary to what God wants to do in me. I stop and I say, Be still and know that I am God. We have a common saying in our family deep breath. Things are out of control. Kids screaming, mommy and daddy trying to talk, phones ringing tv in the background anxiety rising deep breath it's our way of saying take a moment collect ourselves and similarly when life threatens anxiety discouragement pain trouble the psalmist is saying here deep breath be still and know that i am god We like to say here at Harvest that God is sovereign. That's a great reminder when we're in times of trouble. God is sovereign. Simply put, that means this. He is above all things. He created all things. He knows all things. He can do all things. And he's in control of all things. God is sovereign. Be still. So I challenge you, Harvest, if you haven't done so already, memorize Psalm 46.10 as a way to go back to, you, to, to the, the presence of God and know that he is with you no matter what's going on. And while you're at it, memorize verse 8 as well. And if you really want to take the plunge, memorize the whole psalm. But verse 8 Hearkening back to that, come behold the works of the Lord. Take time and reflect on what God has done in your life and recognize his presence in your past and you can trust his presence in your future. Finally, the refrain from verse seven is repeated. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, he is with you. He is with you. So our young 16-year-old friend, taken into captivity and forced as a slave in Ireland, you might recognize his name as Patrick, later known as St. Patrick. During the time, God got a hold of his life, and Patrick writes that while there in Ireland, the Lord opened the understanding of my unbelieving heart that I might... At last, remember my sins and be converted with all my heart to the Lord. It was during that time as a slave that he gave his life to Jesus. He turned to Christ and then he spent his days, his his work-filled, lonely days, he spent in constant prayer it is said that he experienced a deep sense of God's presence. I believe St. Patrick experienced Psalm 46, and you can too. Part of the prayer of St. Patrick goes like this. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise. His presence is with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do not promise temporary, mundane, material things. You promise yourself. You promise your presence. You promise that you will not leave us nor forsake us. We know that you will not remove the trouble, but you are with us in the trouble. you are good, you are present, you are here. We thank you for that. Will you make that an even stronger reality? Throughout this week, may we hearken back to Psalm 46 and be reminded of your presence no matter what may be happening. So we praise you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your presence. For it's in the awesome name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.